My guest on this week's episode of Suds and Search is Tony Wright, founder and CEO of Wright IMC. Tony is a veteran digital marketer, a past president of DFW SEM, an adjunct professor at Texas Tech, a columnist at Search Engine Journal, and a popular conference presenter. You may have heard Tony speak at PubCon, State of Search, SMX East, and Affiliate Summit. I'm going to start our conversation by asking him some questions about a presentation he delivered at this year's PubCon Florida. The presentation was a playbook for post-pandemic digital PR and reputation management. Tony will discuss his five-part plan for avoiding a reputational crisis online. I'm also going to ask Tony a little bit about a column he wrote in Search Engine Journal titled, Google Ads is not for small business anymore. Here's why. Tony argues that if a business can't spend at least $3,000 per month on Google Ads, the program simply doesn't work anymore. What should small businesses do instead? Stay tuned for Tony's suggestion. Grab something cold to drink and join me for a conversation with Tony Wright. We'll chat about why you need to do digital PR proactively. We'll talk about the unique considerations for reputation management in a post-pandemic world. And I'll ask Tony what it means for his company to be on Moz's recommended list again in 2021. All right, Tony Wright, welcome to Sudden Search. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. We're happy to have you on. Another you know, proud representative of the DFWSEM community. Yeah. And so... Uh, it's great to talk to you. I, I wanted to start talking, start our conversation with the, a PubCon talk you gave, which I feel like gets more topical by the day. It's like even more than I think when you probably created that deck. You know, basically it asks the question, this is the post-pandemic world. Um, we're seeing a new wave of COVID cases, hospitalizations, deaths, the return to many of the policies from 2020. You know, for businesses interested in protecting and improving their reputation, I don't know. The road seems even more fraught than than uh, it's, it's just completely fraught with danger. How would you describe you know, the current mindset of businesses who you work with in this post-pandemic world? Sure, I, I think your quotes around post-pandemic, by the way. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's definitely. Uh, I think the one common factor is fatigue from uh, just everyone. Uh, it doesn't matter what business you're in. This is, uh, I mean, it's you know we're going on two years of just basically everyone in crisis mode and, and it, it's everyone's tired. Um, uh, but I think, you know, there are some of, uh, especially the people that I talk to that are actually doing very well in the pandemic, but then there are others that are just devastated from, you know, uh, from the fact that people aren't going out, people, you know, the hospitality and travel industry is, uh, is absolutely devastated. Yeah. I, I, in fact, I had before the pandemic, I think I had about seven or eight travel clients and we've got two now, mm-hmm. um, you know, they, they've just cut budgets. They've cut back on everything. Now I'm hoping that they'll return someday, but uh, you know, I mean, for instance, with a client that was a, a, they do, they do, they work with the cruise lines to, to do excursions and they just pretty much shut down their business because obviously cruises are still not, you know, going and, mm-hmm. and people that, aren't buying uh, excursions. So didn't matter how well we were doing from a search perspective, All right. sell the product. Well, fascinating. Well, I, I, I want to go through this presentation. I know you've got, there's other things I want to talk to you about. So I wonder if we could do it quickly, but I think it's worth, worth covering. So there's this great quote in, in your, in your presentation that trying to do PR in a crisis is like trying to eat a salad during a heart attack. In other words, it's too late. You know, it's, it's, it's already happened. There's five major components to your plan. As I said, I want to try and uh, leave some time at the end to ask you some other questions. But 
the first suggestion you have is to monitor your brand and key personnel. Yes. So monitoring your brand seems easy enough. Uh, you've got you know, things like Google Alerts and other tools that you can recommend. But you suggest monitoring key personnel. So sometimes people don't like their personal stuff monitored by a company. Maybe they've got provocative political views. You know, take me through how this works in practice. How, how do you monitor key personnel and the brand? Well, I, if if you're in a company and you you know part of your job is to be, I mean, frankly, everyone's job in, the, in these days is to be public. I mean, if you're a, a restaurant and the janitor isn't washing his hands, that can affect your business, you know. But uh, that's yes. not really what you know, you know, and that's not really what I'm talking about in that particular case. It's more. You know, CEO, the pe- CEOs, the people that are out in front uh, of what's going on, you need to, if if some, you know, I would say when we're doing online reputation management, more than half of the cases are because of some officer or someone has done something that is uh, offending other people or causing issues. Um, and it can be, you know, anything from uh, financial malfeasance to personal, you know, political talks, et cetera. And uh, when those types of things happen, you know, I, I give another talk that I didn't but didn't get in too much into, but uh, creating social media policies of what uh, mm-hmm. your employees should, how they should act on social media. I think it's very important to set those expectations out based upon employment because it is, it, I mean, uh, you've, we've seen it happen. What somebody says can uh, negatively affect the bottom line of a business and actually negatively, you know, cause other people to lose their jobs. So yeah. it, I don't think that it's, uh, you know, overstretching to ask people to be, uh, to adhere to certain standards for a company. And that standard is going to be different for each company, but it is definitely uh, monitoring your key personnel is, you know, at least have your CEO's name in a Google alert, have, uh, you yes. know, Anybody who is, uh, you know, out speaking for the company, um, just have them in a Google alert so that when something does come up, you can get ahead of it. If it's, you know, if somebody misspeaks or something starts to go viral, I call them flashpoints when something starts mm-hmm. to move. And uh, it, 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 a lot of times, if you don't get ahead of that flashpoint, then the damage is already done. And it's really hard to uh, to go back and, and put that you know, put that genie back in the bottle, if you will. Sure. Oh, that's, I think that's a great answer. The, the second recommendation in your talk is to get more reviews. So you're not going to have a hard time convincing a local SEO like me that this is <laughs> extremely valuable. I, I, what I would ask is to, to help spread the, the word about reviews. What, why are they so powerful? And maybe give a, one or two suggestions for how you can get more of them. Sure. Well, I think one of the things that I, I always like to, to tell companies, and if you've got so you've got five reviews and three of those reviews are neutral or negative. It looks like you're a bad company. If on the other hand, if you have 500 reviews and even 50 of them are somewhat neutral or negative, it looks like some people had a bad day. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a logarithmic perception scale. Uh, you yeah, know, yeah. that's just a fancy word for saying that the more reviews you have, the less impactful one individual review can be. So uh, it's very, very important to get as many as you can. And what I find with most uh, businesses, if you're a successful business, you have satisfied customers. 
Uh, but those satisfied customers are not necessarily the ones that are going to go and leave your review. It's more likely going to be the customer that has that bad day or that right. bad experience. So uh, you have to work to encourage your your best customers to leave a review. And it's kind of, you know, like, you know, for most businesses, you know, car dealers are great at yeah. getting surveys. I mean, when you, you know, you buy a car, um, you're going to, they're, they're going to ask you to fill out five surveys and they're going to tell you on each one of them flat out. If you don't give me a 10, you might as well give me a zero. I mean, how many times right, have we heard right. that when we're buying a car? Uh, people in, other businesses need to kind of take that mindset and really be asking for the reviews from their, their good customers. We found that when a business will do that, um, they're always surprised at how many they get. I mean, we've taken uh, recently, we took a, a doctor's office that had some like a 2.5 on Google uh, is 2.5 stars. Their psychiatric uh, clinic, which frankly, you know, I hate to say it, but their patients are literally crazy. Right. Uh, you know, they're going to, they had negative reviews, especially from people that were seeking drugs that were not allowed, you know, they're obviously, a, that makes sense. You know, yeah. so, but when we started asking and asking them to give reviews directly on Google, as opposed to giving just a, you know, a review to the company, um, we went, we're now sitting at a 3.6 and that only took about three months. So it's, right. you know, it can be done. It can be. And, and how do we do it? You know, uh, we use a tool called GatherUp, but there are several others. I really, you know, BirdEye is a, is a good tool. There's some others out there. I, I would look for tools that create processes for getting reviews as opposed to uh, the tools that just, you know, uh, place reviews for you. Um, you really need to create a process for getting reviews because uh, if you, you know, tools change, tools shift and and you don't want to be dependent upon the tool for your reviews. And you also, frankly, there are terms of service issues that, uh, you know, just placing reviews can get you into some hot water. So I always like to create a process uh, and tools help facilitate that process. I'd say I would, I would second your recommendation to gather up. I think it's great. And people who, who uh, made that tool are outstanding too. So Absolutely. Uh, I want to go next recommendation on this, on this list was to tell your story. And then I think, to tell it often. So to tell it many times over. So I, I, unless I'm mistaken, I believe this has to do with owning your, the SERP for your brand name, making sure that nothing lousy looks, uh, nothing lousy shows up on there. Um, you know, take me from the 30,000 foot view, which is I'm, I'm now convinced. I think this is a great idea. Some business, some businesses who could be hit with a crisis are very small or they could be nonprofits. Right. How do you recommend uh, a business who has a small budget actually do this? Well, I think that it's it's very much boots on the ground PR I mean, public relations, just talking about what you're doing. Um, I mean, there's all there's also some low hanging fruit things like, you know, claiming all your social media, right. um, creating an actual official social media handle that you use, you know, you use consistently across the board, et cetera. But frankly, it's just talking about what you're doing and getting that out there. And it doesn't have to be out there and, you know, you don't have to get a USA Today story. You can get the local blogger to talk about how you donated donated food to the food pantry, uh, or get the food pantry right. to even say thanks to uh, you know thanks to Joe Schmo for giving us uh, you know for for bringing in a big donation of food. Th those types of things uh, because you want to have positive items when people are searching your name, and uh, it's not always necessarily just even because it's going to be promoting business. But if a crisis does hit. 
when a crisis hits a blank slate, if you don't have anything out there, the crisis is going to win. And all of a sudden, when people are, you know, we see it with B2B companies a lot, somebody will, something negative will happen. And then all of a sudden, you know, like we have one right now, and I'm not going to say who it is, but they have a lawsuit pending against them because Mm -hmm. of some things that happened. They hadn't done anything. And for the first four, it took us four months to really start even seeing some impact of what the things we were doing because they had nothing. We were starting from scratch, creating a content strategy, uh, you know, mm-hmm. having to do all of these things. Whereas this company has been for years donating stuff to their local to to local mm-hmm. uh, charities, and they just never talked about it because they didn't feel you know, they didn't feel like oh we don't want to toot our own horn. Well, I kind of say if you're not going to toot your own horn, nobody else is. You need to be putting your story out there and you need to be putting out there often so that when uh, people do search for you, they find those things. But more so for when inevitably, I mean, every business has crises, every business has things that happen. uh, You're somewhat protected. You're never completely protected. I mean, if if USA Today or AP puts out a story about you, it's probably going to show up. But if that's surrounded by all the positive things you do, you can create a perception in the SERPs that uh, you're a good company. Yeah, and then this I think this next tip will dovetail nicely into that. It's about courting influencers. So now we're getting into the realm maybe more of social media. Uh, you, you, you have a quote that says, when crisis hits, you need friends. How do influencers fit into your crisis management plan? Sure. I mean, the thing for if you are, you have, there are influencers within your field, no matter what exactly. your business is. Um, and you need to find and identify those and create a relationship with them. Um, and it's the relationship should not, it, it needs to be mutually beneficial. You're providing those people with stuff, you know, you're in the industry, you should uh, keep up with what's going on, tell them what's going on, t- give them some, uh, you know, tips that are not necessarily just about your company. Um, so that you know, you can. So when something does come down the pike, and they know that you're a, a reliable resource, um, a lot of times instead of just posting rumors, they'll come to you and talk to you. But others, the other thing is that sometimes they'll even come out and defend you because that you've been good. And it's really important to create those relationships with the influence. Most people are either scared to do it or don't want to take the time because it does take time. And, you know, I always say, you know, like here, we're, you know, doing a virtual beer is a great idea to do that with an influencer, just Mm -hmm. talk to them. But when the pandemic is over, or when you can, uh, breaking bread with someone is, is absolutely one of the best ways to uh, solidify a relationship and get somebody on your side. Awesome. Well, the last thing, this is my last question about your your PubCon talk, and then we'll kind of shift gears. Um, The last tip is to create a response workflow. I wonder, there's there's a concept you talk about called the Streisand effect in this, yes. in this talk. Uh, or if having a, you know, creating a response workflow and then actually using that 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 workflow is an effective way to avoid the Streisand effect. So I guess the question is, what is this this concept, the Streisand effect, and how might the creation of a response workflow help? Sure, the Streisand effect is... Uh... Basically, just being very careful to not create more problems than uh, with your response than are already out there. Um, the, the story comes from Barbara Streisand had a, a home that she didn't want people to know about, I guess. Right. Um, some people, uh, a guy took some pictures, some aerial pictures of the of the home 
um, and posted them in a very obscure architectural magazine. Uh, Barbara Streisand uh, got upset about it and sued this photographer for doing it. Well, no one had, very few people had seen these pictures mm-hmm. until the lawsuit became public. Right. And then all of a sudden, everyone saw the picture. So she actually created the opposite of what she wanted. It's um, like a boomerang. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, and, but it can happen. And, you know, uh, I've seen some of the worst ORM cases I see are when somebody says something negative about a company and then the CEO of that company goes in and tries to defend it or an, an employee or somebody tries to go in and defend themselves because then all of a sudden you've created more content for the SERPs. You've pulled attention to the complaint somewhat legitimize the complaint, especially if you're, you know, being defensive instead of actually, uh, you know, trying to solve the customer's problem, et cetera. Um, and that's why, you know, it does get important. It becomes important for uh, creating that workflow. Who's going to respond? Who is your, who's your key person? What are you going to do to quickly and efficiently disseminate information during a crisis? Um, and you need to have that workflow in place before a crisis strikes because, you know, we used to, when I, you know, I think a lot of people know that my background is, uh, I, I was in public relations and I ran the crisis communications for American Airlines during 9-11. So I've got a lot of experience in this, but the, but back then we had uh, crisis plans, which were basically the giant phone books of everything that should happen. Uh, those don't work very well in today's world because there's just too many variables. And even then, we didn't have a plan that uh, where we could get uh, uh, where where planes were grounded because every plan had somebody going on site. So that was an issue. Um, so, but but if you create a response workflow, then it's more of okay, we can respond to things as they come, mm-hmm. um, but we need to know who's going to respond, how we're going to make those decisions, how how we're going to quickly disseminate information, etc. And it needs to be flexible. But uh, at the end of the day, it's more about understanding each uh, team member's roles and responsibilities. Well, interesting. And I, I think the whole talk was great, Tony. And I, uh, I think especially it's just very topical. You've got, you've got the timing right for, for what we're dealing with in small business world. So the, I, I want to shift gears to a search engine journal column you had. Uh, I think it came out in August with a provocative title. It was Google Ads is not for small business anymore. And here's why. Uh, you point out that your agency and as you as you interacted with other agency owners, you know, the return on ad spend for people spending under $3,000, I think, is the, the number you, you targeted. Mm. It's it's noticeably worse than it was, you know, a year or two ago. Yes. Basically, what's going on? Why doesn't Google Ads work for small businesses? Well, a lot of it has to do with how Google has shifted and pushed uh, people to um, – to different types of, of ads that are uh, that are more geared towards Google optimizing the ad as opposed to uh, the the advertiser actually you know creating the bids etc. Um, Google you know Google will now uh, basically take your ad. You can even set a you know target. You can set a target CPA. You can do all of these things to make things a little bit more efficient. The problem with doing that is Google has to be fed. It has to have data in order to optimize to those uh, to those places uh, or to, the, to you know to those metrics. So it is difficult to for Google to get that data without uh, spending you know three thousand dollars a month. And part of the other problem is because Google is optimizing this. Well, 
they're pulling in brands with big, bigger budgets to show up in queries that they probably weren't showing up in before because they were not looking at those. But Google sees this could be a good CPA. So they insert that into a local listing. You know, they insert that ad into a local listing. Then all of a sudden uh, you're competing with Walmart as opposed to, you know, you may not have been competing with Walmart in the past. And Walmart has, you know, millions and millions of dollars. If you can't pull in $3,000 a month, you don't get that data. You don't show up in the, uh, you don't get the reach. I mean, at the end of the day, Google ads is still reach times frequency, right? Uh, you know, it is, it, even though you're, you're hitting people who are searching for something mission wise, it still has to, you still have to get it to those people. And they usually, they don't buy on the first time. It's, you know, it's reach times frequency. And, and if you can't spend the money to get that reach, then you're, uh, you're just wasting money. And it takes that long for Google to optimize. And so I was, we, my team and I were extremely frustrated because we have a lot of people that we were able to show success to a few years ago. Uh, you know, and a lot of times people will come in and say, uh, you know, I just want to try this out. And if it works, I'll increase my budget. It doesn't work anymore. And it's hard to sell somebody to try something for $3,000 a month, especially a smaller business where that can be the difference between hiring someone or not, or in some cases eating or not, you know? Totally. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I mean, and it's a, it's a, it's sort of a sad ending to the article, but it's a, it's a, I think an important question. You, you finish the article by saying, if you can afford to pay for Google ads, that is, if you can spend in excess of 5,000, $10,000 a month, great. These new sort of features from Google will work they great work. for you. If you can't spend the money, your term was, then you're better off going on another ride. What's the other ride? What are the what are the other avenues for these small business clients? Well, and, and it's ironic. We're seeing, you know, actually YouTube is working really well for a lot of these smaller clients. Um, Facebook is working pretty well. Uh, uh, we've been doing some experiments in Pinterest and seeing some good results there. B2B folks can do very well in LinkedIn. Um, and uh, a lot of people, we actually have shifted some budgets uh, over into Bing. Now, the thing about Bing is that it, it actually converts better than Google. It just doesn't ever get the volume. Uh, right. Bing is uh, a really great search engine, especially if you have a non-tech savvy audience, because uh, it's the default uh, search engine for uh, all of Windows machines. So when someone is buying a Windows machine and they're doing a search, they're, they're more than likely, unless they change uh, their browser or change uh, the settings in their browser, they're utilizing Bing and they don't even know it in a lot of cases. Um, so the ads actually work very well. The problem is the volume is just not quite there that you see in Google. So you're not going to sell as much, but uh, uh, I would, I would encourage everyone to at least try out Bing because it does, you know, up to a certain point, it converts extremely well. Yeah. I, I, I second that. I think it's been a huge, and once we hired Mark Irvin, he really started to open my eyes to the opportunities on Bing, and it's been it's been great for us. Well, listen, Ty, I want to ask you one more question, or at least point out one one uh, one thing about you guys. So, your company, Right IMC, made the Moz recommended list for 2021. Yes, now, there must have been some recent update to this list because a lot of uh, recommended companies or people are just posting about joining for the first time here. As I understand it, you've been recommended previously. Tell us what it means to be on the list and your history being on the Moz recommended list. Sure. We've been on that list for probably eight years. Um, and uh, 
but they did make and it used to be kind of a more frankly friends of rand um in a lot of cases uh i i've known rand fishkin who started moz uh since i was actually on the very first panel he ever did at search uh search engine strategies he and i were panelists together okay um so i mean i've known him for years and years and years and and uh he you know i always kind of uh knew what we were up to and knew we did quality work. So when he created the first list, he put us on there. And uh, then we dropped off for a little bit for some reason, but then they put us back on. And now I think they, they're trying to be a little bit more uh, strategic and uh, really actually vetting the companies a little bit better than what they used to. Because uh, I always kind of said, Moz was a great lead source for us, but something I was somewhat proud of, but a little bit not, not overly advertising because I didn't feel like that we, I mean, we earned it because of me being a friend with somebody, you know, and but now they're doing a little bit more vetting, you know, uh, uh, they're trying, you know, taking kind of a, a page out of clutch, which where we're also, right. you know, recommended resource, which, uh, I mean, if you, if you as an agency work with clutch, you understand they pick up the phone and call your clients. They, it's not a, um, you know, it's, it's not a, uh, even when your client does a review, it is not a given that, you know, that you're going to get a review, a good review from them unless uh, the client is really happy. So, uh, you know, that I feel more, very proud of that one. And now I'm, you know, we're more proud of Moz and they've revamped the list and put us on there. And uh, we're very happy that they chose to uh, continue recommending us. All right. Well, Tony, this has been, this has been great. Uh, If people want to get in touch with you or your agency, what's the best way to do that? Sure. The, the best way to, to, to reach us is to go to our website, which is at uh, writeimc.com. That's, you know, my last name, W-R-I-G-H-T. And then IMC is an internet marketing consulting, writeimc.com. There's a form on that page. There's a phone number, tons of ways to uh, reach out to us. If you'd like to uh, ask me a question personally, my Twitter is at Tony N. Wright. N is in Nathan. So Tony N. Wright. Um, uh, and uh, I, you know, I respond to direct questions uh, all the time. You know, if you have a que- if something, you know, uh, the first few questions are free. I don't, you know, charge for any of that stuff. So um, I love to talk search. I love to, to, to interact with people. Um, and, and I'd love to talk to uh, your listeners. Awesome. Well, I, I plan to be out your way, you know, sometime in the fall. So it'd be great to do this in person sometime soon. But for now, I'm going to sign okay. off. Tony, I'll give you a a virtual cheers. And for everyone listening, we'll be back next week for another episode of Sudden Search. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you.